June 27, 2018, it's a Watt from Pedro show. Oh, <laughs> 
Don't worry about it. Okay, Juan for Pedro show. <laughs> Take two. People, uh, I'm not all the way alone through the wonders of Skype. Uh, engineers Estonia, Alan Ravenstein, uh, joining me. I uh, want to say a huge honor to have you aboard Watt for Pedro show. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we started with offering from John Coltrane I chose for you. And then sentimental duet off your brand new album, Waiting for the Bomb. Um, thank you. Yeah. Well deserved. Uh, I got to say, me and Dee Boone, you guys came to West Hollywood to do the Modern Dance tour. <laughs> and me and Dee Boone and Georgie of the Minutemen was, was there, and it blew our minds, man. It <laughs> really, really blew our minds. Uh, it, yeah, it was uh, intense. Well, you're I mean, dating yourself. A little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, we were more younger. And you yeah. had a table there with these two big boxes on it. It was it was a trip. Never, yeah. but you guys just redefined the whole thing. You gave us the geo to like let the freak flag fly. So I, I want to thank you right now. But can I ask you your earliest musical recollection? Yeah, my my father was a, a jazz fan, so uh, we had a a big Fisher console stereo. I think before most people did have that kind of stuff, and uh, he. He listened to Errol Garner. He listened to uh, Andre Previn when Andre Previn was a jazz pianist before he became an orchestra conductor. Um, he had uh, I became very fond of Henry Mancini stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff. My mother was a classical music fan. She, I don't remember, she had Rachmaninoff records and she also played the piano. So uh, there was a lot of music in the house when I was a kid. Okay, uh, is there a piano in the living room? Of this apartment, yes, there is, and in fact, it's hers, which was her grandma, her mother's. It's a 1916 Kanabi. Wow! So a lot of people grow up with the piano. The thing, the the parents ask them to take lessons, right? Was that your case? You know, she, nobody ever asked me to take lessons, and I didn't. Um, and I still actually can't play it. I just keep it because it's a, a, a you know a memento. But uh, I did uh, play the trombone for a very short time when I was in grade school. That was probably the beginning. Boom, that's bass clef. <laughs> I, I heard it was easy. Did you do marching band? Uh, no, it was, uh, you know, I wasn't very dedicated to it, so it really never went anywhere. But I had one, and I practiced it now and then for a while. Because I heard marching band with a bigger mouthpiece, it's kind of easier to deal with. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Could be. <laughs> okay, uh, going back. So, so there's a piano there. Your mom plays it, but mainly they're listeners. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, and you said you had some music in school. Uh, just the bone. What was it like? The orchestra? Was it a harmony class? Or? Uh, you know, I really don't remember. You're talking okay. almost I'm just 60 years ago now. So I always ask about that because so many music programs have been removed from school. You know. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can you remember the first record you bought for yourself? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, the first record I bought for myself was the, the Beatles, uh, Meet the Beatles record. And I distinctly remember my mother saying when I brought it into the house, oh, I hope you're not going to spe start spending your money on that stuff. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. Do you remember the first <laughs> gig you went to? Oh, boy, that's a good one. Um, no, I don't. Um, yeah, I really don't. Well, one of the first couple, <laughs> first dozen. Well, I, I remember uh, 
I don't know. The thing that comes to mind, I, I'm sure it's not the first thing, but the thing that comes to mind was uh, going to watch uh, Sun Ra and his orchestra play oh. at a at a tiny little place on West 25th Street. I would have been in my 20s by then, but that's the first thing I can remember. Wow. You know, I'm just reading the John Swed bio on him, and he talks about the New York years and them cats playing everywhere and anywhere. Man, I, I, now I, I got to see him a couple times. In fact, me and Raymond ended up, we were all bourboned up. It was there uh, where you are in uh, Baby Sweet Basil's. And we ended mm. up in a conga line. He was doing some trippy version somewhere over the rainbow. And me and uh-huh. Raymond were in a conga line. <laughs> it was a trip. So I first know you as a keyboardless synth player and right. clarinetist. So how'd you get on them instruments? Uh, it actually was a soprano saxophone, but the, oh, they I'm looked sorry. like a clarinet. Yeah, yeah, um, John Coltrane played that. Uh, um Sidney Bechet, big on. I started well. The saxophone is is pretty simple. I started off we playing a musette, which is just a like a recorder with a brass bell on it. Uh, okay. It's a reed instrument, and um, I just I don't know. I just thought I could get uh, a better sound out of this other instrument, a sax, this soprano saxophone. I don't really think I knew much about what I was doing. I just it just appealed to me. The the synthesizer was. You know, I I uh, lived in a house in Lakewood, Ohio, and a fellow moved in on the floor below the apartment I had, and he was a, an artist. Uh, um, I don't know what kind he was, really. I don't, I don't think he was a painter, but he did some sculpture or pottery, I guess. But in any case, he and I became friendly, and he was uh, rewiring fuzz tones to make them oscillators, and we used to just plug these things into the stereo and just sit and and goof around and make noise. And one thing led to another and I got interested in it. And, uh, after I had a a bunch of these little boxes, I had an envelope or I had a clipper and I had some other things wired together on a table. And somebody said that there was in fact an instrument that was all of those things in one box and it was called a synthesizer. And I looked into that and found that there was a company in uh, Vernon, Connecticut, making um that was called eml electronic music laboratories and they were making a a synthesizer that was uh for they made it for school kids the the state of connecticut uh paid them to create a a unit that that they could teach electron music to school kids with alan about what time about what time is this uh 1971 maybe maybe 72 71 was when um, me and D. Boone's first gig, I can remember. It was T-Rex. <laughs> okay. Anyway, go on. So it was an well, instructional device. Yeah, essentially, and it didn't have any internal wiring. Uh, all of the units were uh, had a had their outline drawn on the face, and uh, it had pot, you know, ports for uh, cables, you know, quarter-inch phone jack like like a guitar cable. And, and just knobs, and, and you plugged it together in any kind of fashion you wanted. So you could put an oscillator into another oscillator into another oscillator, and then you could put it into a high-pass filter or a low-pass filter, or you could put the filters together and make it a band pass or a band reject. And, you know, you just you just learned how to make uh, sound with it. It didn't have a keyboard. 
I had it had a button on it that you could use as a triggering device, but uh, mostly it was just uh, using potentiometers knobs to to change uh, pitch, and you you know you just yeah, yeah I don't know you just played it. <laughs> now, up to that point, were you playing in bands? No, no, no. I the, the whole live performance thing is not something that ever really interested me but i was just uh for a while this fellow who was this was bob bensick he and i worked together i ended up leaving that house and moving out to a house in the country uh that some friends of mine had and they were going to leave it and so rather than ended up have it end up on the market i just said i'll rent it and um i went out there and i just i was uh um not working at the time and I had time on my hands and I, and I had a four track TAC 3340, um, reel to reel recorder and this synthesizer. And I was at times building, uh, voices of the theater, a seven speakers for people. That was one of the ways I was making some money. And so I had a pair of those that I had built in this big room in this house. And I just sat there and sometimes Bob would come out and we'd play together, and when he wasn't around, I'd just work on my own and make uh, recordings. And I just I did it, you know, like it was a job. I got up every day and worked all day making sound on the tape. <laughs> That's righteous. I want to play uh, from the new album, Waiting, okay?
שהורג, מי שזורק רימון בחדר, מי שעומד מאחוריי ומלפניי ומצדדיי ומעליי, שתי דמויות זוהו בחלון הקומה הרביעית, ומתחתיי הבניין קרס עקב פגיעת פגז בבסיסו, ובתוכי, ובתוך תוכי, הוא האויב.
Pedro Show. Yeah, we started with Waiting. Alan Rabenstein, brand new album, Waiting for the Bomb. Then brand new from Nels Klein and Scott Amadola, they got a project called Stretch Woven, and it's called Taco Pop. Anthems of the Void with Beyond Doubt from the Precipice, Mold Omen, Quest for Sediments, uh, Bump in the Night from new album. Farther South, He Who Shoots, guided by Voices, Yes, every other month, a new <laughs> Great spat batter, Sun Ra with Tiny Pyramids. I want to try and uh, do a cover of that next month. And then finally, uh, Venus Calling from Alan Robinson. Uh, go on. Uh, so you're making music in this uh, house in the country with big-ass PA and this EML synth, and your buddy's got to connect with the university. Yeah, so um, a fella that, and I don't, I honestly don't remember his name, but he was um, a dancer working in the, you know, the 
dance department, the modern dance department at the university, and he got wind of what I was doing, and he came out, and I played him some stuff, and he felt that he could use that uh, for, I don't know if it was a piece or rehearsals or what, but he was interested. So I started making tapes and giving them to him. So I was really just making things and giving them away. I, it didn't, I wasn't trying to hang on to anything. I wasn't particularly trying to make something. I was just working. And um, But there, over time, this changed. I left the house and I moved into the city and I ended up with this building downtown that I was trying to save from the wrecking ball. It was a gothic-looking apartment building. Is that uh, the dub very house? Old. It's called the Plaza. It, uh, it was, yeah, uh, Tony told me something about the dub house. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's, well... I don't know what... They all lived in you, an apartment you had or something. Yeah, that, I mean, it, the <laughs> one wall of it appears in a photograph on the back of Dub Housing. I don't know if that's how, it, how oh, it's getting okay. related to the Dub House. But in any case, <laughs> it was called the Plaza. Okay. And um, I, while I was living there, I finished um, a piece of music that I titled Terminal Drive. And... Uh, oh. There were people that were interested in it, and uh, as it happened, um, I invited some folks over uh, the night that this new TV show was going to start called Saturday Night Live that nobody knew anything about, but we knew it was coming. And so I had some people over, and I played it, and it was Peter and, and his wife Charlotte, and I, maybe there were some other people. And I played that piece that I had done called Terminal Drive and, you know, whatever, and then we watched the show. And I guess word got out about that piece of music, and I... Subsequently, uh, Scott Krause, who I just knew from living in the building, said that these guys were going to start up this band uh, called Perubu and wanted to know if I wanted to join in. So, Scott, okay. Are, are you on the Steve Canyon Blues? Uh, I honestly don't know. Okay. Because Tony told me that was a big deal with the beginning of that band, too. Uh, could be. I don't. I don't remember that uh, element. Well, something like you have kind of a more rock and roll part, and then it breaks down into a space out and then comes back, sort of like th uh, Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly heard the name and I know the, of its existence, but I, I'm not sure if I played on it or not. Okay, uh, when you, uh, I think it was Tom Herman's like kind of solo trip he was telling me or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't called Perubu right. sounds like, It more sounds like, yes, the connection to Tom Herman sounds right to me, and I, I'm not sure if I played on it. Okay. So do, do you remember the first time you played with them guys? What was that like? Uh, well, originally, uh, even though I just said that these guys were going to form a band, it, that that's a true statement, but what's also true is that the intent was to make a record and then and then break up. Um, and the record that they were going to make was this 30 Seconds Over Tokyo thing. So I'm pretty sure that the very first time I played with them was when we were... <clears throat> um, I don't even know if we rehearsed. Maybe we just went into the studio. I, again, you, this is a very long time ago, so yeah. there's a lot of it I just really don't remember. That's Okay. Uh, was it kind of a, you know, how, your parts you, you created on the fly? Or yeah. Like, I can't imagine David, like, telling what to do. 
Um, yeah, <clears throat> I, um, I don't know. Uh, David and I always got along. Um, I, the, my playing went through a transition. I mean, initially I made that record and then I said, okay, that's it. And they said, you know what? No, we're going to stay together and we're going to be a band and play out. And I said, well, that's really not interesting to me. So I'm out. And then they went and played and they got a guy to join them, uh, to take my place. And I went to see them all the time. And I ended up thinking that I really should do it. So they kind of unceremoniously fired the guy and, and took me back in. And I, in the beginning, I would write down a, a setting. Um, I had like drawings of the face of the unit and I would write down, you know, where all the chords were and where the knobs were positioned and all that kind of stuff. And I would go through these lengthy changes between each song and that got to be tiresome. <laughs> and so over time, I just, uh, that all went away and what I would do is at sound check I would and then I and then I ended up with more than one unit I had the two boxes that you saw I had the, yeah. the EML 200 and the EML 101 and the 101 had a keyboard and what I would do is I would come out on stage at, at sound check and I would just wire them together and make some noise that that I felt was a setting on the unit that gave me enough latitude that I could come up with whatever I wanted and then, and then I just, and then I literally did do it on the fly um, okay. every night, and every night was a different setting. And toward the very end, um, I would actually come out and start playing before the rest of the band came out. I would just come out on stage and start uh, playing a synthesizer, and then they would all kind of wander out, and, and we'd begin. Um, but it was all every night was completely different, and that's that's very similar to the way this record is. I actually could not duplicate anything that's on this record. You're talking about waiting for the bomb, this new one. I am, yes. Okay, uh, Albert Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Tell me um, about him. Albert, you know, was another guy. The Plaza very quickly became an artist colony. When I when I took it over, it was it was really just uh, folks that. Um, you know, the building had been let go for a while, so it was it was uh, seedy, and and the folks that were in there had been in there a long time, and and it was uh, you know they were you know they just they, they were poor, you know. Yeah. Um, and over time, they you know moved out. Uh, some of them died actually, and other folks moved in. And what gradually happened was the building became an artist colony, and so there were writers and painters and poets and musicians in there. And Albert ended up moving in there. And I knew him before that, but the relationship probably, you know, uh, became stronger when, he, when we were living in the same building. Yeah. And uh, he, worked with on, he worked with me on Terminal Drive, and there was a time when, you know, he's a, a, a trained musician. I am, I'm a primitive. Um, and he knew some stuff about music and music theory that was interesting to me and I asked him to try to teach me some of that I don't I don't think that ever went too far I, I'm not a particularly good student and I am in some ways I mean I was a very good student when it came to becoming a pilot but yeah. in other things in other things not so much so I don't really know that I was a very good student for him but he did he did make an effort but we worked on terminal drive there was a kind of a, a, a bunch of us that you know 
moved around. I mean, Jim Jones was around and Peter and Albert and, and Cindy Black and Scott and all these different people. And bands would kind of form and break up and form and break up and form and break up. So there was this group of people that just kept cycling through these different bands. And, and Albert was never in Perubu, but he was in other bands peripheral to it that, that mostly involved Peter, actually. Um, so... And then what? All these years later, you guys come together to make this record. Uh, come to make together to make what record? This waiting for the bottom. His name's on the cover. Uh, Albert Dennis. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> really? Because. Yeah. Oh no! It's the terminal drive. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, Albert. and it's got the inside of a plane, of course. Yeah, it's got, that's Albert. And I right. see on the other side kind of the patch uh, bay stuff. The if, if you're looking at the Terminal Drive record... Yeah, I am. I'm looking at the back here. Okay, well, yeah, the back of that album is actually a map of the Moscow subway. Okay, the Metro. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then the front's uh, there. Okay, okay, that's what he's on. He's not on. Uh, you know, that's the thing about the Wap from Pedro show. The host guy fucks up sometimes. But thanks for clearing that up. We're at the end of the first hour. June 27, 2018, Dishawap from Pedro show. Special guest, Alan Rabbitstein. Hold tight for hour two. June 27, 2018, it's the second hour of the Wap from Pedro show.
сите овие сиромашни луѓе што се движат во градоштот Прозад ја сносува државата. Затоа што државата не организира вакви фирми, собираме картони, собираме шишиња, собираме отпадоци, го расчистуваме градот, ги расчистуваме сите подруми, сите отпади ги класираме таму каде што што се потребно. Затоа што државата ја има силата и парите и може од овие неработници да направи работници. Али државата не сака да си ги мачи своите мозоци, па ги пушта луѓето така да просат и да го тежнат и да го загадуват животот. Културните македонци кои можат као господа да живеат во градот, али не можат од овие, од овие што се као мене што просечат. Им сметаме на дучек, у ресторан, им сметаме на улица, им сметаме на сега. Ама не е ферски од државата да ги пушти овака да се мачат.
Well, I, you know, I don't want to, I mean, I would like a person to draw from the song what they draw from the song. And, and in fact, you know, sometimes I'm even, uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about titles uh, because I know that the title is going to influence what the person hears. Um, and so the more you talk about it, the more you kind of do that. And I, the less I do that, the happier I am about it. It makes good sense. Yeah, when I'm writing songs, I actually have to start with the title or I have no focus. People who started the second hour off with uh, Waiting for the Bomb, title song from Alan Ravenstein's new album, Waiting for the Bomb. Then Karashki with a long song, Vasco Hatanatsoski and Sorhab Habibihon with uh, Nevinstinsko Oro. Sorry for the bad Macedonian. Alan Ravenstein with 537 to White Plains. Is that an airplane reference? Never mind. No, uh, it's actually a train <laughs> reference. Train reference, okay, but it is traveling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, White Plains, kind of a burb for the, uh, this New York City, right? Um, well, it, White Pl I mean, White Plains <laughs> has a lot of meanings, actually, but the, the, the thing that I liked about the title, the, the, I don't think that, I don't know why they call it that, but what I liked about it, was the fact that it was white and plain, and it, and it kind of denotes a, 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 a flatness, a kind of a, um, you know, a deadness in a way. Lack um, of hills and valleys. So it's just a very, uh, it's what I want to hear. I want uh, like a sterile kind of an environment, yeah. and it's it's reminiscent of. Um, I'll tell you what, it reminds me of a couch with a plastic cover over it. <laughs> Sweaty. <laughs> Get sweaty sitting on those. I mean, you know, what I'm thinking always of uh, Willoughby. Next stop, Will it was a Twilight Zone, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, was right. That scary. Oh, man, I have a whole story about that uh, that tr parallels it, but uh, I want to talk about you here. So, uh, <laughs> Chevron <laughs> from Lucy Leave, Instituto No, with strict advisors, and finally, Insomnia. Alan Ravenstein. So, Stein, sorry. Let's um, let's talk about the process. How how you made this out? Um, 
Well, I work uh, at making music pretty much seven days a week. So I make a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't all get used, which is the good thing about making a lot of stuff is that you can throw stuff out or save it for later or save it to think about it later. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more stuff available than what ended up on that record. And when I went, I had a, been working for a while, and Bill Blakeney is, is my... Uh, well, he's my producer, but he's also a friend and, and, and somebody that I... Uh, trust a lot with regard to sound and so i make stuff and i send it to him uh to to get feedback or whatever and at one point after i'd sent him a bunch of stuff he said you know i think you got enough to make a record again and i said yeah that's what i think too and i said but you know i think i'd like to put some percussion on this and he agreed that that was a good idea so we arranged for me to go to up to this studio grant avenue studios in hamilton ontario um and which is yeah anyway there so and he had an idea for a guy to work there uh, the joe sorbara and and then the engineer uh there uh, bob deutsch also can play um the trumpet so when i was up there i said you know while we're working on this stuff, if you hear a trumpet anywhere on any of this, please, let's put it on there. And so Bob put some trumpet on some pieces, and Joe did percussion on some pieces, not on everything, and some of the percussionist stuff I did. And when we were done, Bill said, you know, I really think you have two different records here, one that's kind of more atmospheric and one that's kind of more melodic. And I disagreed, and I said, no, I think that they should go together on one record. Um, and I came up with a, a plan for a running order and sent it to him. And I said, I'd really like to hear what you think would be a running order. And he didn't come up with anything for a very long time, like months. And then I thought he was still hanging on to the idea that it should be two records. But he finally uh, sent me his idea, which was pretty close to my idea and so between the two of us we came up with a running order so that's that's kind of how the and the, and he agreed that the two types should stay together so that's how it ends up being like it is um, <laughs> i'm glad you prevailed i want to play a yeah. tin walla here what is a walla a tin walla is in fact a real thing it's a it's a guy in india that uh brings um uh lunch to like construction workers and they're tins of food and he is a tin walla he's the guy who brings the food right kind of like a one-man version of the chow truck
Hit you like a ton of freight. Engine breaking down, gonna throw your weight around the curve and pull you might go full velocity, full of flight. Jamming down like a mother, show your colors like no other. High shifting, high breaking, first ass class. Super slinging, faster gripping, pounded out now, super roller, pass them by and then they're slower. Like screaming in the passing lane and blowing your doors off, shake them down like thunder. Show those babies how to roll, gonna really do it, really take the toll. Let's all ask and win this game, the Tucker's ladies bring on the fame. Thank you. 
Not from Peter Show. I, I, I figured there'd be no uh, droga references. Uh, Tin Walla, brand new Alan Ravenstein album. Uh, Giallo Mon Non Troppo, Crash Landing. Joe Brewer was steaming. The Ladies in the Garden, Alan mm. Ravenstein. Um, not going to even pretend to know what that's about. Uh, Spiel Gusher, that's Richard Meltzer with uh, Mr. Shimmy, as you call. The Flight of Gregory Corso. Halbians. Rock and roll don't make ye hard, son. <laughs> of course, they're from England, right? And then finally, Bombay Tar. Helen Ramenstein. Uh, so we, uh, we were saying off air, uh, Alan brought in the stuff that he creates, you know, working every day, all week, the musics, and uh, had some cats uh, yeah, overdub, interpret and bring some trumpet and percussion. And so what about when it came to mixing? Um, well, I I mix every... I mean, it's it's amazing where this has all gone since I was in Ubu, because in those days we recorded on tape and you went to a studio and you did all that stuff. Now I do almost everything at home using uh, a, an Apple program called Logic Pro 10, which is an amazing thing, and it's so cheap. It's two hundred dollars. It's a real. It's a real. Uh, talk about availability of means of production. It's amazing. But um, anyway, I make it using that program, and I send it via Dropbox to Bill in Toronto, and he listens to it. And um, we maybe there's a bit of an exchange about levels or whatever. But for the most part, the mix that I've made goes uh, to he takes it and um, transfers it to uh, radar I think is what it's called and then it can go to the studio for final production work and that's when um, Bob Deutsch gets involved in, in mixing and sometimes he has a, a, an idea for a mix that's different than mine and sometimes we go with his and sometimes we don't and and sometimes it's a compilation of the two. And anyway, that's when um, the extra tracks get put on um, with, uh, the, you know, like in this case, the, him and the trumpet and, and uh, Joe and the percussion. Yeah. Uh, you know, you being a pilot, you yeah. that has any bearing on your music? Uh, well, I think, <laughs> I think that uh, everything that ever happened to you has a bearing on everything you do. Yeah, I'd agree. I wanted so, to hear you yeah, say I'm sure that. it does. I couldn't, so I couldn't tell you how, but I'm sure it does. Well, do you ever compose while you're flying? Maybe that's a little irresponsible. No, <laughs> no. When I'm flying, well, now that I, well, I can't, I mean, I can't fly for the airlines anymore because I'm too old. 65 is the age limit for that, so I had to retire in 2015, but I teach now uh, in the simulator. I go one week a month to Minneapolis and teach in the simulator, teach uh, the pilots different uh, equipment. But, no, when I'm doing that sort of stuff, I'm really focused on what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I always look for the guy with the four uh, stripes on his epaulet. Yeah. <laughs> the guy with the three stripes is important, too, but... Well, the truth, is, you know, the funny thing people don't realize about that is yeah. uh, it's not it's not necessarily the case that the more experienced pilot is the captain. Okay. Yeah, in fact, uh, there was a crash 
in the city, right, with a Korean <coughs> plane. And the pilot didn't have a lot of experience with that type of plane, but he was older, and so the first officer, like, deferred to him, and they came in too slow. Mm. Do you remember this? No. It was really sad. Uh, two girls were killed, and one of them was killed by the fire truck, because the foam covered, they couldn't see her, and they ran her over. Oh, it's oh, terrible. It's terrible. But, uh, you know, because of my work, you know, i got to be in the plane a lot, and so mm. I'm very grateful for people being focused on their job, and maybe not yeah. writing, waiting to write the tunes at another time of the day. Yeah. <laughs> I was just curious about that. Because, no, I understand. Uh, huh? I understand. Uh, like, I know dudes who say they'd write songs driving in their car, man, and, and you know, that, that's another big part of touring for me is in the van, and I concentrate on the driving. I can't write tunes. Uh, Good idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, when, you, when you think about it, uh, how many years total did you fly? Oh, 30-something, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, let's see. It's uh, 32 years. Uh, much respect. It's the end of the second hour, July 27, no, June 2018. Uh, special guest, Alan Ravenstein. Hold tight for hour three. June 27, 2018. It's the third hour of the Lot Pedro Show.
long ago I'm still looking for a place to start The only thing I can give to you Are the bits of this broken heart I'll always be on the mend There'll always be a part of what we are I'll always be needing you Much more so when we're apart And if I ever start to change for the worse Show me something real
Live from Pedro Show. Uh, started the third hour off with uh, Day Shift. Alan Ravenstein. Wait for the bomb out. Then Stick Sellers with There Will Be a Slight Delay Number Two. Uh, Spirits. Alan Ravenstein. Uh, Mike Denham. Place to Start. And In the Ether. The new album. I mean, what gets me on the album is the the run, what you call the running order, the sequence. It's great, man. It's a journey. Well, that's that's really great to hear because that's what the hope was. I, I, I'm, you know, as I get less less younger, I listen to music more as big things, not like singles. Well, maybe when I was more younger, and uh, you know, maybe that led to me doing. You know, I ended up recording three operas or something. But I, I look at things in the big <laughs> picture, and your album is. Truly like that. I mean, I love well, it. Well, that's that's the nicest thing you could tell me, um, and I I just you know it makes me uh, sad to think that 
based on what I understand about how people listen to music these days, is that the someone sitting down and listening to the whole thing is probably not very likely. Yeah. Yeah. An attention span of a gnat, I think my pops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know what? I got a sense of that in modern dance. Mm. That thing seemed like a big tune. And 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 the the dub housing one too, kind of like a big tune. I mean, because I'm outside, you know, the whole thing, and maybe that's just me, but it's just like a big. And you know, there's uh, sand, there's mountains, there's bayou, there's forest. Yeah, yeah there's all this that's, kind of stuff. That's wonderful. And uh, I, I you hear it that way. Uh, short wave. Yeah, yeah. Let's listen to that because I dig.
Walk for Pedro Show, our last music for this edition, Shortwave, Alan Robinstein. Uh, then some stuff I got recommended from Australia, uh, Mod Vigil with Cut Bag, A Drunk Mums with Hot Flush, and 70 Street Munchies by Emil and the Sniffers. Uh, then Save Her Ship, that's very dear to me, uh, mm. from the new album. Yeah, yeah, I just imagine in my mind, you know. And uh, then the project just came back from where you are. Uh, Afternoon Freak did first gig. Yeah, sometimes people have me come play. I've never played with them, and you make the album right out of that. It's a yeah. pants shitter, but i got to do some of that, or I'll be a total coward. And then finally, <laughs> if only there was more time. And uh, Which, you know, damn. I, I think about that, about so many different things. You know? And uh, But... You know, do you have uh, people that are younger than you ask for advice about this music racket stuff? What would you tell them? Oh, uh, well, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I'm not qualified to speak about that. Um, I mean, You're I just think... just music, period. No, no, I, I understand. I'm going to say something anyway. I just don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, even when Ubu was getting going... Music was largely an industry, and it was less about art and more about making a profit for somebody. And it, and it got worse and worse and worse. I mean, in the beginning, we would get a $20,000 advance and make a record and have money left over to divide up among us. And by the end, we were getting $250,000, and it was all going into the record into a producer who was you know, doing stuff that we weren't even sure we wanted done. And it just became such a business, such a, a thing about, yeah, right, yeah, that the art was really gone from it. And so, so that's one of the reasons I left. I mean, the real reason I left was just, I was, I had my sights set on, on having a career as a pilot and I wanted to do that more, but, but certainly that was part of it. And I think that, you know, and then it's got, and it's only gotten worse since then. Um, and so, you know, it's it's kind of like when they make movies, you know, everybody, it's, there's a successful movie, there's 50 other movies that are like it. Yeah. And that's what goes on with music. As soon as somebody does something that people buy, there's 50 other people that show up and do basically the same thing. And then it sells and somebody makes some money in that. And then that's what everybody thinks music is. And, you know, it's more than that. And the great thing about now is with things like that logic program being so cheap and, and various other methods of being able to do stuff people that before would have never been able to do anything can actually make stuff now so if you want to do it because you want to do it because you have an interest in it and because you love it then great and if you want to do it to make money then i i don't know what to tell you i mean you probably can but i don't know anything about that you know so you said something earlier great for me to hear i make work at music seven days a week I think that's, you know, even with all this nightmare on the other side, you still find value in music. It's beautiful. Well, it, it, it's what, I mean, it comes to me. I mean, I can lose myself in it. And, it, you know, if you can find something to do that you can lose yourself in, then that is something that's directly related to you. I mean, that's your passion on some level or other, and you should pursue it. And if you can manage to make a living at it, great. But if you can't make a living at it, well, then that's what you do with the time that you have that you're not using to make a living. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, don't collude. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, it delivers me from that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. it delivers me from that kind of stuff. Well, to me, that's a lot more inspiring to hear than how to game some racket system. And that kind of shot itself in the foot, like my heart is bleeding pink lemonade for these people. Not really. Uh, well, I, you know, I can remember every time when, when we had Cliff Bernstein as a manager, which was a really long time ago, very early days of the band, we'd make a record and I'd call him up and I'd say, this is it. This is way more commercial than anything we've done before. And it was always worse. It was always further away. <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm really just clueless when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, I've, you know, that's, so that's why I say I'm really not qualified to speak because I really don't have any idea how a person would go about learning to make money at this business. I guess just imitate something else that already made money, I guess. <laughs> always chasing last week's hit. Yeah, right, yeah. But, man, your expression, for me, is kind of free of that nonsense. And I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Do you have plans to tour this? I know. There's, I don't, I don't even know how I could do that. Like I said, I couldn't duplicate anything. Right, right. Um, So I don't, I don't see how that would even be possible. And it doesn't really interest me anyway. Right, right. Even way back, you didn't like doing gigs. Not, not really. I mean, I did it, I did it for, what, 10 or 12 years so I mean yeah. I had my you know I had my exposure to it it's not and I didn't learn to love it so <laughs> kind of vaud, vaudeville a little bit yeah well, yeah I mean I, I mean don't get me wrong I was very very lucky to have been in that place in that time because I got to you know because of that I know people because of that people are interested in what I do because of that I got to see the world because of that I got behind the iron curtain I saw East Berlin I played in places where we were the first band to play since before the Second World War. I mean, I got to see a lot of stuff that there is no other way I would have gotten to see or been exposed to. So I'm blessed that I got to have that experience. So you would say O-word opportunity rather than B-word burden? Yeah, I would, yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait for your next, uh, since you got all this backlog, you can make, put out albums all the time. So I can't wait to the next one. So grateful well, I, for Smogvale, too, you know. Thank uh, you. Yes, let, me too. And you being you, much, much respect, truly. Uh, it's been the July, <laughs> June 27, 2018 edition. Watch for Peter show, special guest Alan Ravenstein. People, keep your powder dry.